This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Wednesday, December 27th, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Home Editorial Director Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Home staff writer Ryan Scott. Hey, hey, everyone. How's it going? Uh, it's going good. Uh, you know, it, it's that slow time in between Christmas and New Year's where Hollywood has basically shut down. So there's not a, a ton of new uh, movie news, but we actually have some interesting stories today. So you're going to want to stay tuned. Let's first start with Avatar. And I know you talked with Ben yesterday about the weekend, but Avatar has now hit a billion dollars. Um, so, yeah, Avatar The Way of Water, after 14 days in theaters, has crossed uh, $1 billion. Uh, as of so counting the Tuesday numbers, so not anything that's happened today, uh, it is at $1.02 billion, which makes it the second highest grossing movie of 2022, just over Jurassic World Dominion uh, and, and still a decent ways behind uh, Top Gun Maverick. Um, it has made $317.1 million domestic and $712.7 million internationally for about a 70-30 split, uh, which is a little heavily weighted internationally, but we expected that with this movie. Um, it is the tied for the, for the sixth fastest movie to ever get to a billion dollars, uh, tying Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which ultimately topped out at around $1.3 billion. Um, the fastest to ever do it was Avengers Endgame, which did it in five days. Uh, so, um, you know, that's kind of where the numbers sit right this second. Okay. So what, what does this mean for long-term Avatar? Because I, last time I talked to you about Avatar Way of Water was last week and that was the opening weekend box office. Like now that we're starting to see some of the legs, I mean, I know this is like, holiday weekend so it's still you know asterisks <laughs> but where do you see this heading well i mean it's worth pointing out that you know over the weekend it, it did drop 52.8 percent which is big but not huge you know for for um a, a blockbuster so that's that's domestic um I think that was maybe a slightly bigger drop than Disney would have liked. Uh, you know, that's my two cents. But um, so I don't know. It depends how those holds go in the weeks to come. Again, there is not a ton of blockbuster competition. So, you know, that depends. Um, it also is not doing particularly well in China. 
there's a lot going on in China right now between with the, you know, uh, COVID cases are on the rise there again. Um, you know, that, that we've, we've talked a lot about how, you know, China just isn't sort of pushing with American movies like it used to. So even a movie like this that was expected to do very well in China just isn't. It's at 104.5 million in China, which is money Disney's certainly happy to have. But, you know, where you're talking about, you know, where the first one made nearly 300 million, you know, it's just not going to get there. Um, so, you know, there's there's stuff to consider for sure. I, I think... I think I could see it doing, I don't know, maybe 1.4, 1.5, you know, by the end of it. I, I don't think it's going to get to that $2 billion mark that people have been sort of bandying about. Um, but that's just a guess. I don't really know. Um, it's it's really hard to tell, uh, particularly with no idea what some of these movies in January are going to do. You know, don't know how COVID cases are going to go after the holidays. Don't know if that's going to have any impact other than in China. There's too many variables right now. Yeah. It's tough to predict. There's actually a lot of uh, I, I saw a lot of press, too, saying that uh, there was a lot of storms over in the, the northeast and stuff like that, uh, which could have accounted for a lesser holiday box office, weekend box yeah. office. Yeah, there were a lot of storms. That was a big it could have for sure. But like, you know, that's um yeah, that definitely could have could have played into it. Yeah, uh, internationally, it's holding a little bit better though. I, I think I saw like forty percent drop or something. Yeah, yeah, but it depends on the market, right? Like, I believe Raphael wrote up for us. We had that thing where it didn't even open number one in Japan. Uh, there was like a a basketball yeah. anime, I believe it was, that <laughs> topped it in Japan. You know, like so. So it's yeah. like I'm not saying like again. I I feel like because there's a lot of people that are getting irritated at like you know, certain people in the press. And I guess that's, I would count as one of those people that are like trying to find a negative spin for this. And let me be clear. I'm not trying to be negative. My big, my, my it's, I'm thrilled that movie theaters have a hit right now. They need it. I think it's great. I think the raw numbers are huge. Again, I just keep going back to how much Disney spent on it, what it needs to break even and what that means for avatar three. Does this ultimately equate to good business is where I end up falling. And I'm, and at this point, I'm not sure yet. Um, it's not bad business yet. You know, like it, it's not terrible business, but Avatar 3 is going to be the linchpin here. So, you know, those are where my questions lie. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm being negative. I'm just sort of trying to, you know, you have to understand there are more than just those raw numbers at play here for does this make good business sense? Yeah, I mean, that's what interests me about the box office. If you're just talking about box office week to week uh, and you're not looking at it in any uh, future level, you're just basically gambling on movies. <laughs> I, feel, right. I feel like the, 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 the reason to talk about the box office is to ask all those questions that you're asking is like, you know, what does this mean for the sequels? What does this mean for future movies? Like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, how well this does or doesn't do determines the future of movies. And uh, right. I mean, maybe not this sequel because the sequel's already been done and I feel like there's no way to to uh, cancel it at this point. Right. Spent so I, much money. Yeah, Avatar 3 for sure is coming out. But again, that's where the determiner is, right? Because what you, I just did a write-up for us about you know, the numbers. And I think the thing is that, okay, so you have to look at now as avatar three, it's, it's coming out no matter what, but did audiences sort of get their fill with the way of water? 
you know, 13 year gap between the original and way of water. Okay. So then two years from now, are people more interested because they've returned to Pandora or did they sort of scratch that itch with way of water? So is it going to make a little more than way of water or is it going to do less, you know, like, cause it could go either way. And I hate to state the obvious here, but like, you know, you have to sort of look at like, well, you know, then that really determines, do you have a five movie franchise or was this just a trilogy? you know, can you sort of expand the scope of the franchise after the fact? Can this become a new Marvel or Star Wars within Disney's halls? Or is it just, you know, a trilogy? And that's kind of that. It's hard to say right now. And so that's where that's Disney's investment in Fox. Disney purchasing Fox was this was a gigantic part of that equation. And so, you know, yeah, you're talking about a, a $71 billion acquisition. That was, this was a big piece of that acquisition. So, you know, I'm, that's when I talk about, you know, the, the larger businesses decisions at play here, but make no yeah. mistake, a movie making a billion dollars in 14 days in the current theatrical marketplace, that's wonderful. And I think that's great. And I think theaters need it. And I'm very happy for that. Yeah. And we should also acknowledge that there's more than the box office, the theatrical box office. Obviously, people are going to watch this on Disney Plus. People are going to buy it and rent it. Uh, people, you know, a big reason, like you said, a big re- a part of the Fox acquisition it was this movie. But th- that's also largely to do with uh, Disney invested heavily in Avatar and their theme parks at Animal Kingdom. They have a yep. whole land. Uh, so, you know, I think the success of this movie and the, the, this franchise isn't totally 100 percent dependent on the the theatrical numbers but um that being no, said, i said uh james cameron says two billion dollars to uh to make money and i'm not even sure it's weird because when you read online and you, you read like analysts talking about this movie none of them can seem to add up the numbers to get to two billion everybody says no. 1.5 is like the break even yeah. So again, I, I, I kind of rely on my own rough math for this because the estimates have been all over the place. Like I just read a thing in deadline where they said the break even point was 2 billion. James Cameron actually by his own comments kind of was maybe closer to that when he said it needed to be one of the highest grossing movies of all time to break even. So, you know, like, but so for me, like the, the, the complicated part that we don't know at all is does James Cameron have a first dollar gross deal here? Like, does he get, you know, because that's like what Christopher Nolan has. Tom Cruise has that in a lot of cases where it doesn't matter if the movie's in profit. The first dollar that is made at the box office, Cameron gets a percentage of that. And I also have to assume that like Zoe Saldana and the other, um, you know, returning actors, they probably have a, a back end deal as well. So I don't know how much of the box office is getting eaten up by back end deals. And, you know, so so that's a huge factor. Um but yeah, like you like you said, like the original Avatar didn't have a ton of merchandising, things like that. It made its money at the box office and it made a ton of money on home video. Well, the home video market's not what it used to be. So, you know, Avatar 2, yeah, sure, it has a lot of opportunity on streaming. We'll probably still sell some Blu-rays. But like the thing with a franchise here is that you then have further opportunities. You can make more toys. You can do other things. You can maybe make animated shows. God knows. But if it does well you have a further franchise opportunity. So that's kind of where you're right. The ancillary revenue streams are not being counted here. But I do think that in a lot of cases, a movie needs to make sense as the movie and the ancillary revenue is good. But with the home video market not being what it used to be, you can't rely on those ancillaries anymore. 
Yeah, no, that, that, that that's for sure. And I, I wonder if this movie is going to do better in merchandising. I don't know. Uh, they definitely have a lot more out. Like you go to Toys R Us, there's like actual action figures. And, and Wait, are, are Toys R Us still a thing? I mean, sorry, not Toys R Us. Target. <laughs> Toys R Us is a thing now, though. They have brought it back in, like, I think it's it's like a store in a store, kind of like Target, kind of. Or I forget what oh, store okay. it's inside of. But uh, yeah, I don't know why I said Toys R Us. Uh, but yeah, so uh, there, there there is stuff out there. Is it selling? I don't know. I I was in my local Target the other day, uh, last week, and I was if I, if I saw they they have this beautiful like Todd McFarlane makes these action figures. And they make these like uh, banshee action figures that are just beautiful to look at. And I was actually gonna buy one, but they were all sold out. So, so I mean, antelo- you know, that's <laughs> that doesn't uh, that's antidotal on uh, my part. But yeah, but we'll be paying attention to this at least in, uh, for the next few weeks as to see if this drops further. Uh, see how how many legs Waywater has. Uh, but uh, let's talk about one other thing. This is actually something that like really isn't on my radar. I'm not a sports fan, but YouTube has scored the rights for NFL Sunday ticket. And I, I have heard this is a big deal. Yeah, this is a huge deal. Um, I was kind of the one. So when this came up, I kind of pushed to be able to get us to write about it because like I was aware of how big of a deal this was. And as someone who likes Sunday ticket, but hates the price point, I was looking forward to this moment all year because I knew the NFL was looking for a streaming partner as opposed to sticking with direct TV. So like I was really interested in this, but it is a big deal, even for consumers that may not realize it's a big deal. Even if you don't like the NFL, if you don't watch football, this is still a big deal. (laughs) So wait, lay this out for me. What is NFL Sunday ticket? All right. So for those who don't know, if you watch NFL football, most of the games take place on Sundays. There is a Thursday night game and a Monday night game, but but most of the games take place on Sunday throughout the season, which is an 18-week season. And generally speaking, you can only get your in-market games over like a TV antenna, meaning like the game, like the teams that are, you know, so for instance, I live in Texas. We get Cowboys and or Texans games. There are broadcast rules that prevent a lot of other games from being broadcast. So if you want to watch your team or just every game, like I just love NFL, I don't necessarily have a team, you have to subscribe to NFL Sunday Ticket. And for many years, DirecTV's had it since 1994. You could only get it as a very expensive satellite package. And in recent years, DirecTV started allowing a streaming package, but it is tremendously expensive. Like it cost me like over $300 for the season. And that's like four months or whatever. You know, it is tremendously expensive by streaming standards. So the NFL had wanted to hitch its wagon to streaming for the future because they've already got uh, Amazon Prime Video. If you're a user, you'll probably notice the Thursday Night Football ads. Amazon Prime Video is the exclusive Thursday Night Football provider now. So so the NFL has been looking toward the future with streaming. Okay, so this means that it's available to everybody, not just someone who has a satellite dish. Um Yes. What? How, how much is something like this, this going to cost? And you uh, like, is this through YouTube, their uh, TV platform? Yeah. So, so let me go over the basics here. So, so, so Directv, um, you know, they lo- they lost the bid. Now it is what it is. Um, 
So what it is, uh, for for months and months, it had been assumed that Apple was the front runner, and they and they were. Uh, the problem is Apple isn't in the let's overcharge you business. Apple didn't want to charge too much of a premium for the Sunday ticket package. And that was a sticking point for the NFL because they don't want to undervalue some of their other products. And so so uh, at the last minute, YouTube sort of swooped in. Uh, so this will be available two ways through YouTube TV, which is like their live TV service, which is currently $64.99 a month uh, or YouTube prime time channels, which is sort of like if you, you know, subscribe to a different streaming service through Prime Video, for example, or like you can add stars through Prime Video. You know what I'm talking about, Peter? Yeah, yeah. But if I have YouTube yeah, so TV, that, so, this is just included? Well, so that's the thing. They haven't said anything about pricing yet. So I don't know if it will be included just as part of YouTube TV. But the more important question for me is if you subscribe to it as a standalone through YouTube primetime channels, what's the price going to be? Because right now, like I told you, my price for DirecTV this year was like $74.99 a month if I split it up monthly. Because uh, you could pay like it all at once and it was like a little over $300. And that was the base package. They have like a premium package, which is even more money. So <laughs> there's no question it's going to be less. And YouTube is also paying around $2 billion per year for the rights. Wow. Um, that's important to note. So that's a very expensive. And, but this was seen as the white whale of, of sports packages for streaming. Uh, Apple has gone in, you know, they have a deal with Major League Baseball and soccer right now. As I mentioned, Prime Video has Thursday Night Football. Um, you know, ESPN Plus is, is really trying to push this stuff. So sports have become a big sort of way to attract streaming subscribers. But now YouTube you know, which only has 5 million subscribers through YouTube TV, you know, this is going to give them a gigantic boost, you know, so they kind of got the white whale here that is going to be able to give them subscribers for years and years to come, um, you know, so it's a big deal. Yeah, I actually have YouTube TV because I, I, I like did the research and it, for the amount of money I was going to spend, I got the most amount of channels in a, for the cheapest price. Uh, I, I wanted a streaming option that I could dvr stuff and you know watch stuff yes. on demand i guess and uh yeah because like YouTube... i had sling oh so go ahead sorry yeah i was just gonna say youtube just does that better than most because they you know they stream everything all day <laughs> on their website they know how to do it yeah because i because i had sling for a while and partially to watch monday night football which is only on espn but like the problem with Sling is they have multiple packages, so it's cheaper up front, but you don't get all the channels you want. So, like, I wanted sci-fi, but then, like, that was on a different package than ESPN was. So it was, like, really complicated. But it's nice to be able to DVR stuff still. And, yeah, so YouTube TV does that well. And for $64.99 a month, they're competitive compared to, like, cable or satellite. So that's sort of helping with cord cutting. Um, but, yeah, so this is going to lead to a lot of cord cutting. And I guess... The real thing here, why this is important for, for your average Joe, look, DirecTV has relied on NFL Sunday ticket for literally decades now. This has been their bread and butter. This has kept them in business. I don't know. I might be exact. I This might be sort of the beginning of the end for DirecTV because, because you've already had a lot of cord cutting going on. I don't know without Sunday ticket if they have an attractive enough business model to keep rolling. I don't know how many customers they lose because of this. 
I don't know if it's a slow snowball or a big one, but this is really bad for DirecTV. So those of you who still like DirecTV and still like over the top, you know, TV options like a traditional TV package, I you know, this is pretty brutal. So or or those of you who had DirecTV for Sunday ticket, you now have to make another choice and you have to go somewhere else. So so there so there are again some bigger implications here for people that even if you don't watch sports, there are a lot of DirecTV subscribers out there. So this is going to be a yeah. big thing for them. And of course, this is YouTube making a big play into becoming uh, a, a player in the premium streaming market. Obviously, they are, what, the biggest in, in, the, in the free streaming market, I guess. Uh, oh, yeah, because like regular ass YouTube, I mean, especially because people pay for YouTube premium to not have ads like YouTube. Does, but but the thing is, YouTube is playing a different game. YouTube quickly yeah, yeah. got out of original content. Like that's why Cobra Kai went to Netflix. They were like, forget this. But so this makes sense for YouTube as a as an expensive way to get into it, but as a way that they can play a different game than anyone else. Yeah, for sure. It, it's funny. I was watching um over the weekend. Uh, I was watching uh, the latest episode of uh, Mr. Beast. He's uh, you know the most popular YouTuber on the platform. I, I watch and Mr. His, Beast a lot. Yeah. His last video at the very end of the video on the screen, it said, "Thanks to Hans Zimmer for for give, uh, for providing uh, original music for this episode. Just for this episode, I was like, wait, what? Hans Zimmer composed music for a YouTuber." Um, and I, I actually messaged uh, David Chen. I was like, hey, "Did you see this?" <laughs> and he was like, "Well, uh, more people are probably going to listen to this in this video than hear his scores in the theater." And I, I did the math, and that that is correct. <laughs> you know, aside from like maybe the Batman movies, you know, more people are going to hear his music in this YouTube video, then we'll see any of, uh, listen to any of the scores in, in the, the movie theater. So, yeah, that's the thing with YouTube. Like that's why a lot of those YouTube guys like Mr. Beast or there's like just Dustin or some of these other guys that, you know, they can get offered TV deals, but they're like, I can do this in perpetuity, get more viewership. And, you know, like I may not make as much up front, but like in the long term, this makes more sense for me as a business. And so, yeah, YouTube has an interesting business model that way. And, and you know, yeah, you're going to get a ton of viewership. You look at what, what Mr. Beast videos do. It's crazy. So, yeah, I can see why a guy like Zimmer would do that. Why not? Dude, yesterday he tweeted out a picture of his, of his last, like, six videos and how well they've been performing. And he tweeted out, around 1% of the human population watches every video we make. And, uh, you know... He gets like 100 million views per video. And I was like, wait, is that true? And I did the math and it, it, it is true, which is, I don't know. That, that is insane to me. Anyways, uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Okay, a new story I really wanted to talk about with you, Ryan, is this new this court ruling that declares the studios potentially could be liable for deceptive movie trailers. So I'll lay things out. The trailer for Danny Boyle's 2019 rom-com yesterday which, by the way, that movie is a stinker, but that trailer, that trailer was such a good trailer. Uh, but it featured Anna Diarmos, uh, who does not – her role was cut out of the finished film, but she plays into, I think, like 10 or 15 seconds of this trailer. And two viewers who rented the movie, they paid $3.99 on Amazon. They are suing – 
the studio. Uh, they're suing Universal for $5 million in damages for themselves and other disappointed fans. So, um, you know, if this goes through, it would be like a class action, I think, kind of thing. Um, Universal lawyers attempted to get the case dismissed, arguing that the trailer is, quote, an artistic, expressive work, which would then be um, eligible for First Amendment pre uh, protections. But U.S. District Judge Stephen Wilson ruled that, quote, Universal is correct that the trailers involve some creativity and editorial discretion. But this creativity does not outweigh the commercial nature of the trailer. At its core, the, a trailer is an advertisement designed to sell a movie by providing consumers with a preview of the movie, unquote. So the case will now move on to discovery and uh, an actual case. A potential, uh, it could get a potential class certification. Uh, nothing, let's be clear. No ruling has actually been made. This is just basically, I, I actually, a ruling has been made to actually go to uh, a, a case. It, it will actually go to court, but no, nothing has actually been decided yet. But uh, does this have far reaching ramifications for movie studios? Because, you know, we see movie, movie trailers all the time. I remember uh, Rogue One had a lot of uh, shots in that, that were not in the movie. Like there was a whole shot where uh, I think Jin was like walking in a, a catwalk and like a uh, Tie Fighter uh, came into frame. Yeah, that was frame. that was the different third act stuff that got changed a lot in the reshoots. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, if people can now sue for false advertising, is it could would this is this going to be bad for for movie studios, Ryan? Um, I, I think it depends on how this all plays out. Um, Lindsay Traves, who has done some writing for us, she has an actual law degree and has, and has sort of done some really good writing for us. I say us, like I have any say at the website, but I mean like, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. we keep good company around these parts. Uh, Lindsay does really good work and she's broken down stuff about like, you know, Marvel rights and, you know, the Friday 13th, Friday 13th lawsuit stuff. And anyway, um, she, she talked quite a bit about the fact that like, okay, this doesn't like, yes, a judge has been like, look, you ultimately trailers are to advertise a movie like yes there's some artistic license but they are more than anything an advertising tool and you and you cannot mislead in advertising that was a judge's opinion this now has to get classified as a class action lawsuit before anything can happen that five million dollars is essentially divvied up between like four dollars a person minus legal fees like it's not like someone's getting five million dollars for this but do I think that movie studios are now going to look at the fact that like some idiot can sue you for, you know, a, 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 <laughs> like, I think, I think the thing is like at the heart of this, the, the, the reasoning seems silly for this particular movie, but ultimately like if you're paying to go see a movie based on a trailer and that trailer is misleading enough, like I do see, you know, that like there's a small argument to be made there, but yeah, I think that, movie studios will probably pay attention to this now and, and they'll have to sort of consider it before a trailer goes out. Like, are you being, you know, misleading in that? Like, is there a bunch of footage in here that isn't in the movie? You know, um, like that new I, Barbie I trailer came out and I think that's a teaser that has a bunch of footage that's not, not actually in the movie. I, I, I could be wrong, but it seems right. like it was, yeah, so who knows? Because that happens all the time. Like with like, particularly with like early teaser trailers, where like that original Jurassic Park teaser trailer, it's really not any footage from the movie. But like, but like some of that is, 
you know, it's kind of, but it's, but it, but it's a pretty accurate representation of, you know, what they're going for. And, but yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. It's, 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 um, yeah, it gets tricky for sure. It's, it's kind of silly, but it is something that studios are going to have to think about. And, and, um, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 that's kind of where I land on it is that like, I just think that like studios will at least consider it before they release a trailer now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I love movie trailers. I know there's like, we're in the age of people being spoiler phobic and people, you know, closing their eyes and movies when the trailers come on or showing up late, they don't want to see them. I love movie trailers because there's an art to it. And when it's done well, when there's those teaser trailers, uh, when, uh, it's designed in a way, uh, I don't know. The the yesterday trailer, I think is an incredible, uh, uh, trailer. But uh, you mentioned Jurassic Park. The recent Jurassic uh, World movie had this whole trailer that I guess was like an epilogue or a uh, not epilogue. Yeah, a what lot of stuff uh, from, the, prologue. from the prologue. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and none of that was in the movie, as far as I know. I didn't, I didn't see any. It's of in it. the extended and, cut. Like the the extended cut has some of that, which again you could argue that's specific. But I'm with you. I love like movie trailers as an art form. Like, I mean. There's nothing like a good teaser trailer that gets you amped up for a movie. Like, and I, and I talk about this in Tales from the Box Office a lot because a lot of times you're like, okay, well, did a movie succeed? And you go back and it's like, well, the teaser trailer was good. <laughs> you know, like that. It's yeah. crazy how often that happens. <laughs> like, I remember because well, I, I didn't I didn't care for Batman Begins is my famous example. And then that teaser trailer for The Dark Knight was so good that I was like, well, I guess I care about Batman now. You know, <laughs> and like, and the, you know, and the, like, but yeah, so that happens. Yeah, so my I, I guess the, there's a worry from someone like me who you take it from being this art form uh, that could be really something uh, elevated and is it now going to become like, oh, only the shots that are in the movie, like we're only presenting like this is what the movie is and not to, and it, it, do you lose some of the art? And I know you, you oh my God. Yeah, you're right. No, because I worry because because you like, yes, we the, the, yes. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just thought about yeah. do you have a favorite teaser trailer? Do you have one in mind? You know, <sighs> like, because I know mine and, and I and it hits on your point. Um, I mean, I think did, the best one of all time was the Independence Day during the Super Bowl. I'm not even sure if that's a trailer because it was a TV spot. That's the uh, best TV spot of all time. Yeah. Like there's no, that's the best, like that's, that's an incredible TV, but yeah, that wasn't, I mean, the trailer still had that, you know, shot in it, but what um, is your favorite uh, teaser trailer? Okay. So do you, I, I don't know if you were, but the, the Comic-Con teaser trailer for 2014's Godzilla, I think it was 2012 Comic-Con didn't have a shred of footage from the actual movie, but it is like, I mean, for a guy that was like, okay yeah. what's going on with godzilla and that te- like the oppenheimer voiceover and you just get like the shadow of godzilla at the end like i was like oh my god like that was like where uh, i was i i wanted to go wait in line for two years for that movie you know and i do feel like that teaser trailer even though it didn't have any footage from the movie was a very good representation of what gareth edwards ultimately made um and so like yeah it would suck if we lose those kind of trailers yeah, I mean, uh, Jurassic Park, I think, comes to mind in, in, in that realm. Spider-Man had a trailer like that, I think. Well, there that, was that original Spider-Man trailer that they actually didn't allow to air. Oh, the Twin had Towers. The, yeah. had the Twin Towers in it. But yeah, it didn't have any footage from the, from the movie in it. But if you can find that thing, 
uh, man, that is like one of the most dated pieces of media you will ever see. Like that, that 2002 Spider-Man oh, yeah. trailer is miraculously outdated. But well, here, here's the thing: Universal argued in the that if they've ruled in favor of the plaintiffs, that quote, one of the it would open the floodgates for similar lawsuits every time a viewer wrong, wrongfully predicted the plot of a movie or you know didn't see something in the uh, the movie that was in the trailer uh wilson clarified that it has to be actionable an alleged misrepresentation must be something that the objective that is objective quote reasonable consumer uh, an objective quote reasonable consumer would expect so uh and he also said the court's holding is limited to representations as to whether an actress or scene is in the movie nothing else um but the scene thing worries me that worries me and i like i i hope that we're not gonna like, i feel like what, what's gonna happen in the end ryan is we're gonna get movie trailers that like have this warning either at the end of the trailer or on the bottom of the screen that's like scene shown in the trailer may not appear <laughs> you know I mean? it might be like something like that and like i don't want that either oh no yeah yeah i'm with you. you don't want the weird like the weird like warning you know i mean but i guess that would sort of solve it right you know like on the green screen that comes up before the trailer like some images may not appear in the final film you yeah. know just stuff like that but yeah okay uh let's yeah. get into our final story for today uh this is about wakanda forever the black panther sequel if you have not seen that movie i would i would say uh there's a pretty big spoiler here so uh, you you may you, I would I would tune out and see the movie before you get into we get into this. But Ryan Coogler, you know, one of the things that I've been interested in is he wrote a Black Panther sequel before Chadwick died, and I wondered how different that movie was. And now we have an actual answer to that. Ryan, tell us about it. We do, yeah. So this broke over like the holiday weekend. Um, or heading into the holiday weekend, I believe. And uh, yeah, so um, in an interview with the New York Times, uh, uh, Kugler and the writers sort of broke down, you know, the journey of the movie. And part of that was, well, what was the original plan? So let me go over these quotes with you. And so the 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 original idea was was what was to deal with the blip or when Thanos dusted half of humanity and, and the aftermath of Avengers Endgame when those people come back. So the idea was, um, this is a quote from Kugler, uh, what are we going to do about the blip? That was the challenge. It was absolutely nothing like what we made. It was going to be a father-son story from the perspective of a father, because the first movie had been a father-son story from the perspective of the sons. So that's an interesting idea. So essentially it was going to be a, a father-son story about T'Challa and his son with Nakia, who we meet in the post credit scene in Wakanda Forever as it exists. Um, so, uh, a little further, uh, Kugler gave some details. Uh, T'Challa was a dad who had had this forced five-year absence from his son's life, because as you may recall, T'Challa was blipped away. The first scene was an animated sequence. You hear Nakia talking to their son. Uh, she says, tell me what you know about your father. You realize that he doesn't know his dad was Black Panther. He's never met him. And Nakia is remarried to a Haitian dude. Then we cut to reality, and it's the night that everybody comes back from the blip. You see T'Challa meet his kid for the first time. Uh, and then as for like the main bulk of the story, uh, then it cuts ahead three years and he's essentially co-parenting. 
We had some crazy scenes in there for Chad, man. Our code name for this movie was Summer Break, and the movie was about a summer that the kid spends with his dad. For his eighth birthday, they do a ritual where they go out into the bush and have to live off the land. But something happens, and T'Challa has to go save the world with his son on his hip. That was the movie. Um, and then the only last thing is that, as far as the villains go, it was more of a combination. Uh, Val, the CAA director played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus, was much more active. It was basically a three-way conflict between Nakanda, the U.S., and Talakan. Uh, so it, it was mostly from the child's perspective. So yes, Namor still would have been in it, but it would have been a bit more three-pronged and the, the, the sort of focal point of the story would have been dramatically different. I wish I could, I wish we could have seen this movie. It sounds so totally different. This, and look here, here's the deal. I'm not, I think what they managed to do with Wakanda forever under the circumstances is straight up admirable. Um, but like all things being equal, I, this sounds like a more interesting movie to me. Yeah. But you know, yeah, the I, world is uh, it is. it's interesting that they were going to do that, the opening sequence in an animated way when they could have just done it live action. Well, but like, but you got to remember like the original black Panther, like there was the animated sequence that opened that movie that like showed the oh, history yeah. of Wakanda and stuff. So I think it'd be kind of cool and shout out to Hannah for pointing that out. Uh, our editor, Hannah Shaw Williams. Um, she, uh, she pointed that out um, as I was writing this and yeah, so it would have been like mirroring the original in that way. Yeah. By the way, Ryan, you asked me my, my favorite teaser trailer of all time. Uh, I just realized that on Slash Film, almost 10 years ago, I wrote a post called The Best Teaser Trailers of All Time, which I counted down the top 52 teaser trailers of all time. So I'm going to link that in the in the show notes if you want to go read what... What topped the what list? I was, uh, what topped the list? Uh, hold yeah, on, what was your... Come on, it's 10 years old. Let's not hold out surprises. What was your number one? Uh... I'll read a couple of these really quick. Uh, Independence Day was number one, which I I, I guess I counted as a teaser trailer. Even though sure, sure, number sure. two was The Phantom Menace, the first teaser uh, trailer for that. Absolutely. With Darth Maul opening his double bladed lightsaber, it was so cool. Oh come number on, three, come on. Yeah, number three, Cloverfield. Uh, you, you, you 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 so far I agree with you. Number four, Psycho, which uh. I think is this a trailer where Alfred Hitchcock is like walking around like no maybe that's the bird burbs <laughs> there's like a weird uh trailer uh yeah anyways uh I'll put the full list in the, in in the show notes if you want to check that out but I wrote this in 2014 so a long time ago uh anyways you can find more of all of our work at slashfilm.com you can find this podcast on apple google overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps uh please subscribe to our newsletter i'll put the link in the show notes and please send us your feedback questions comments concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com uh read and read this podcast now podcast tell your friends spread the word and we will see you tomorrow